Thank you for checking out the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. The podcast is now available on Patreon, where you can become directly involved with the podcast, including direct access to additional audio and video features that we produce here on the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. So find us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Just type WTIP Boundary Waters podcast Patreon into Google and you will find us there. And support for today's episode of the podcast comes from Paragus Northwoods Company, located in Ely, Minnesota. Hi guys, this is Steve from Paragus Northwoods over in Ely. At Paragus Northwoods today, we're all about canoeing and wilderness camping. Our store on Ely's Main Street is open every day year-round and in summer from 6 a.m. till 10 p.m. We must have everything a paddler needs because we're really at the end of the road, the last stop before the Boundary Waters Wilderness. Our outfitting department, I believe, is the best you'll find. We use all new canoes and all new gear every summer. We not only rent an outfit, but Nancy and I and our amazing staff, we're all paddlers, and we all take canoe trips into Boundary Waters every summer. Paragus, the store, the catalog, and the canoe trip outfitting are all online at paragus.com. Please stop by when you're in Ely. We're your friends up north at the end of the road, working every day for our customers and to keep our watershed pristine for future generations to enjoy as we have. This is the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experiences were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking. We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before. I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters, and it's, it was really cool. It was my first time. The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars. I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Oh, and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Welcome to episode 16 of the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. I'm Matthew Baxley. And I'm Joe Fredericks. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Joe and I have gotten lots of requests from listeners wanting to tackle the topic of how to introduce the family to the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. Many of us have been going into the Boundary Waters for years on our own trips uh, but the question comes up, when you have kids, how do you get them to love the wilderness too? And yeah, especially with so many competing uh, avenues of attention, uh, like smartphones and TVs, how do you get the kids away from that and and have them enjoy it? It's been something that we've talked about. Uh, we've had you know young people feature on a number of episodes, Matthew, and it's always uh, just to us seems so natural, like, yeah, of course, why wouldn't young people want to get in and enjoy Quetico, the Boundary Waters. and uh, But there is a, a more unique aspect of it, you know, as you mentioned, with all of the technology available, schedules, there's camps, there's sports, there's so many things, even in the summer months, that can, uh, I don't want to use the word distraction for all of those, but that take up time. And so how do you get the family to be excited to go into the Boundary Waters? And it's something that I was excited to learn more about, certainly, as we were starting out this episode. Yeah, and I think it's completely clear to me now, uh, and hopefully will be to everybody listening by the end of this month's episode, that it's not as hard as you would think. Uh, but the, the real journey is figuring out how to make it easy. And that's what... Uh, the interviews to, that we're about to hear are going are gonna to speak to. How do you make it easy? And it actually is pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's a great uh, lineup that we had today. We met all of these people, actually, uh, through various channels, through Grammar Ray connections that we have here where podcast is based, but also our recent trip to Canucopia. Met some people there. Uh, who's coming up in today's episode, Matthew? 
Uh, so first off, we're going to hear from Scott and Emily Burdett, a father-daughter duo who have been traveling into the Boundary Waters, well, into Quetico specifically, for years. Uh, started when Emily was 12, and we're going to hear how that evolved for them and how that really came to shape their relationship. And it's a very powerful story. Yeah, nice. And then, Matthew, you talk with Bobby and Maura Marco. They're Minnesota residents, and, and we uh, have connected with them through these different outlets, uh, I was saying. And uh, They take the whole family, and they've done some amazing adventures as a whole family, and you hear about that. But also, they really focus in on the process of how some of those trips are organized and, and put together for a family to travel and, and enjoy the travel through the Boundary Waters. Yeah, and uh, what's going to be great if you are a parent listening uh, and you are looking for additional resources, we're going to be sharing um, uh, things that you can do even beyond this episode to learn more uh, about planning your trip because that's the it's the time of year. It's Boundary Waters trip planning season. The ice is starting to melt, the snow is starting to melt, and people are starting to book permits. So. This is the time. Take what you can from this and put it into action. Absolutely. And the beauty of today's episode as well is that there's, the storytelling is, is, uh, applies for everyone. It's in, you know, great stories that apply to not just families, of, but uh, for anybody that enjoys traveling in the Boundary Waters region. And on that note, actually, Matthew, I'm, I'm curious. You know, growing up, did you do much paddling as, as a young guy around where you were living? Well, you know, it's interesting how... Uh, Everybody has their own story about how they found their way to paddling and then how they found their way to the Boundary Waters. But m- my family didn't didn't do that. My family didn't paddle. Uh, I actually w- got exposed to it through uh, a trip in my community that I went on as a middle schooler with a friend uh, paddling river a river in Wisconsin, and we took to it, uh, you know, amazingly. And so from then on, we started planning our own trips. At the age of fifteen, my my friend and I were, you know launching onto a Wisconsin river alone. We couldn't even drive, but we were paddling alone. And, and we did that year after year. And, uh, it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized what the boundary waters was. And then that just was a natural extension from there. Yeah. It was great driving to Madison and you pointing out all the river. Hey, I've been down, floated this one. Yeah, right. we the next. <laughs> Wait, I floated on that one. Too. <laughs> that was, that was great. So yeah. And kind of the same for me though, actually, Matthew, I mean, growing up in, in Iowa, North Iowa, just near the Minnesota border, I never knew what the boundary waters was. As far as I know, my, my family wasn't aware of what maybe they knew about the place, but you know, not exactly what it was. And, and as far as I know, they didn't even know that it existed. Uh, quite frankly. And so, but we, we did grow up in canoes. You know, we, we paddled uh, a lot of the Iowa rivers. We, we would go up to the Root River in Southeast Minnesota and we would do float trips down that. And, uh, this was, you know, when I was shorter than the canoe paddles by, by quite a bit, you know, little guy. And so, uh, but yeah, we were always in canoes and and Northeast Iowa, there's some nice rivers there to float, but, uh, never, never up in portaging, you know, I think you and I, uh, kind of came up here around the same time and, and found out about this whole scene that we have just fallen in love with and, and really dedicated a lot of uh, our time and lives and passions toward is is the Boundary Waters. And this whole idea of how you share that, how you share that passion with other people is universal, whether it's kids, whether it's your friends. Uh, so let's dive into hearing how this unfolded today. We are joined now on the podcast with Scott Burdett and his daughter, Emily Burdett. Thanks for coming on the show today, you guys. Thanks for having us. It is my pleasure. I know it was some wrangling getting uh, you both on today, but thank you for making the time. Uh, Could each of you give a quick introduction about who you are so that people listening can kind of know who they're hearing from today? How about you, Emily? Sure. So I'm a student at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and that takes up most of my time. Uh, I'm studying journalism and anthropology here, but outside of my studies, I'm really interested in environmental sustainability and just heading outdoors. So anything that's in the woods, I love to do. Um, uh, Every year I go to Quetico Provincial Park with my dad for our annual uh, dad-daughter canoe trip. 
Um, and so that's one thing that I always look forward to. Awesome. Thank you. How about you, Scott? Well, I am a marketing consultant. I went to college to become a forestry major. That didn't work out so well, and <laughs> I switched gears. I became a journalism major, so it's interesting that Emily is pursuing a similar path. I've been heading up to uh, the woods uh, ever since high school, and uh, at one point it occurred to me that uh, Emily would like to join, and uh, we started doing that and haven't looked back. Uh, what an amazing opportunity to be able to um, take your passion and something that you love so much and share that with your daughter. And, you know, as we were saying before, I think it's uh, really cool. Uh, you get a daughter at sort of moving into adolescence, and that can be a tumultuous time for uh, a lot of parents. But you uh, embrace that time, and you guys headed into the wilderness together. And uh, that's awesome. So I'm, I'm wondering if maybe we can start from the beginning. Uh, what was it like those early days um, learning to trip together? Well, the first, Emily was three years old the first time we went into the woods. Now, that particular trip was a, a fly-in to a remote cabin. Uh, we did have some interesting experiences there, including getting stranded and having to walk through the woods back to that cabin when our boat died. Oh, no. Uh, right, and, and the one thing I remember about that was that I was starting to get a little worried as the sun was setting and we weren't there back at the cabin. And I found out later, Emily, who was on my shoulders, was having a great time. <laughs> uh, yes, you were holding all the stress so she didn't have to. Right. Well, for that particular trip, uh, or just going to that outpost cabin, I remember uh, just the fun of being in nature itself. Um, I kind of say that I think of nature almost as like an adult's playground or a playground for anyone, really. Mm -hmm. um, and so just swimming and hiking in the woods, and uh, we brought our dog up there. Um, and so being with him and just, it's almost, um, it's like a huge encouragement to get outside. You know, there's no reason to stay inside. There's no TV to watch. No, I mean, I didn't have homework at three years old, um, mm -hmm. but no work to do, that kind of thing. And so you have that opportunity to spend outside. Um, and so I remember just completely falling in love with it. I play board games with my mom on the pier, uh, go fishing with my dad, try new things that I wouldn't try, um, like fishing back home in Oconomowoc. So I got to try a whole lot of new opportunities with that, too. Yeah, so, I mean, Scott, it really sounds like you were planting the seeds, whether intentionally or not, for these future wilderness trips. Um, can you take us up to the point of dad-daughter heading in first trip? What, what do you remember from that? Yeah, absolutely. You're right. I was unintentionally planting those seeds after several trips, uh, Fast forward to when she turned, uh, just about turned 12, I think, 11 or 12, we, I decided, you know, we ought to go to, uh, we ought to go up uh, to the Quetico uh, Provincial Park, so the, the, the Canadian side of Boundary Waters, and I was familiar with it. I thought uh, we should all go. Well, my wife didn't want to. She had done that before, and... She thought it was like boot camp. She really didn't want to be in a tent anymore and said, well, why don't you and Emily go? So we did. And after uh, three years of raving about it, uh, my wife decided that she wanted to go. But by that time, we had said, it's too late. It's a dad-daughter thing. That, that's how it evolved. <laughs> <laughs> she lost her chance. Right, right. So we didn't specifically set out to be a dad-daughter. It turned out that way, and it's uh, been fabulous. And my wife actually encourages it and, and, and loves that we have that together. Um, and I didn't have any concerns, really. I just jumped right in. There was no backyard camping, no local park camping. We just went into the woods. And uh, I was a little fearful the first time we went in because we got onto a big lake with uh, some white caps. 
And uh, I was a little concerned about that. We had a full load in our canoe, but it all worked out fine. And uh, Emily took to it immediately. In fact, uh, I remember the first place that we stopped to camp, I asked her to jump out, explore the island. It was a small island to see if there were any rocks that may have formed a ring, could be a campfire, maybe somebody camped there. And she jumped out to go look. I stayed in the canoe, and she was gone for a while. I started to get worried about that. About must have been at least five to ten minutes. On five minutes, that's a long time to be waiting. And it's a small island. I could have walked around it twice in that time. She comes around uh, with a mouthful of blueberries. She had found a blueberry patch. And uh, you know, I things just myself. sort of took off from there. Yeah. Uh, we never uh we never looked back from there oh that's uh that sounds pretty special emily what do you remember about those early days i know that when i was 12 especially i definitely relied on my dad more for planning our trips and for what we were going to do with those trips and things like how to set up a tent um how to cast a fishing line uh all of that but then as time has progressed on and as we've done those trips more and more, um, I think a big part of it is we've learned from each other. I've learned like more of the technical things and then he's learned more from my perspective of the woods and vice versa. Um, but I know in those initial stages, a lot of it was just me being super curious about what he had to show me about the woods since he had been there before he's done those, these kind of canoeing trips where that was my first time, uh, ever doing a portage or being out in the woods or probably being away from my mom for the first time too, for more than a week. Um, and so it was a lot of learning at first. Um, but like I said, as time has gone on, we've definitely learned from each other, which I think is awesome. Um, and there's still so much to learn. I really like that, that take on it, you know, that coming into it, you have this real dynamic of, uh, you know, needing to have things done for you at that age and needing to learn so much. Uh, and that, oh, you know, that's not the way it stays. You know, that may be the initial part of it, but there's this evolution that has occurred for the two of you where it sounds like now you're going into the wilderness as equals almost. Does that feel about sure. accurate to both of you? For sure. Yeah, I, yeah absolutely. I think that every trip we do it's a new experience it's not like we have the same kind of experience on every trip which is great you know we're we're always doing new things what's that been like for you scott to see that progression um unfold well gratifying on a couple of levels one that she loves it uh, we actually skipped one year i don't really recall why but i said to Emily once, if, if I ever do that again, uh, you know, remind me, hit me, do something. And she <laughs> laughed and, uh, uh, she said she would, we've never missed, uh, we've never missed another trip. Uh, so it's gratifying that she loves it so much and that we both look forward to it. And, uh, I also like to, uh, I, on another level, just, uh, our relationship and our, um, our ability to talk openly about anything has, I think, been a great benefit to uh, our relationship now that she's older, a uh, junior in college. Uh, so you can imagine the years between age 12 and 20 and how things change. I remember my sister once saying her daughter woke up one morning and like a light switch was a different person, mm. like the flipping of a light switch. And... Uh, you know, we, we, I, I don't feel like we've really ever experienced that. And maybe it's because of the uh, relationship that we've had over the years. There hasn't been a gap where we're not doing things socially. Mm -hmm. I think our relationship has definitely grown from these trips. Uh, it's not that I don't want to spend time with my dad outside of the woods, uh, but we're just two very uh, busy people, and especially now that I'm out at school, out in Madison, um, we just don't get to see each other that often. And so having those one to two weeks out in the woods every year, no matter what, 
uh, really solidifies our relationship um, and definitely creates a bond between us um, that I can't say I see in some of my other friends um, who are off at college and don't always get to go home and be with their dads. Uh, We definitely have a connection with each other, which is awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, I hear that coming out in the way you're describing what happens in the wilderness at this point, at least, that sort of sustains you both. Um, it has, you know, been this uh, foundation of, of keeping you guys connected. And with that in mind, uh, I'd like to invite both of you to go back to um, a really maybe fond or powerful or even intense time in the wilderness together. And um, you'd like to hear... Uh, maybe just a brief story about where you were, what you were doing, what you remember about that. Sure. I'll jump in because one, uh, one comes to mind for me right away. Two of them do really, uh, the first one was one that was a little bit more of a, uh, a scare, uh, and, and a learning experience at the same time. We had gone fishing and, uh, I, uh, immediately we were on a small Island. I, I, uh, we left the island. We went fishing. We didn't catch anything. We came back to the island, and I said to Emily, you know, um, we should just try fishing here tomorrow, and uh, I think we're going to catch fish. And so the very next morning, I casted my line and immediately caught a walleye, let it go, yeah. and I said, you know, let's, let's stay here tonight. Right, so we wanted to have a nice casual dinner and not have to be chased into our tent by mosquitoes. So later in the afternoon, casted my line, immediately caught a walleye, and everything was looking up to um, have dinner on schedule in the sense that we weren't going to be rushed and running into the tent at night. And Emily went to grab the net. It was tangled. While she was trying to untangle it, I was concerned the fish would get off. So I reached down and just grabbed the fish. And I held up the fish. And in a matter of just a couple of seconds, when it started wriggling, all of a sudden I had a treble hook uh, buried in my thumb and my forefinger. And it was one of the hooks. And I had uh, knocked down the barbs. Uh, But uh, that didn't seem to matter. So I was able to, with my teeth, I just bit through the line. Um, Emily put our fish on a stringer, put it back in the water. And now I had a lure with a treble hook and the thumb and the forefinger. Mm. It was the same hook. So there are three hooks, three hooks coming off there. One was in the thumb, one was in the forefinger. When I tried to push it out one side, it went deeper into the other. And uh, I was able to separate it somehow from the lure. I don't really remember how I did that, but uh, I couldn't get the hook out of my hand. And it turned out we had a multi-tool that we got in the mail. Actually, no, Emily picked it up at a at a store. It was a free multi-tool. And, and uh, in fact, it, because it was free, I equated it with not so good. But we threw it in our gear and took off, and uh, that thing saved our trip because we still had about three days left in the trip, and this cheap little multi-tool had a small wire cutter in it, Mm. probably only an eighth of an inch, and I was able to somehow sneak that wire cutter in over the hook and cut it. And once I was able to cut it, then then I had a hook in my thumb and a hook in my forefinger, but at least they were separated. Mm Mm-hmm. And then from there, I went down to the water, and I thought to myself, I can go back to the uh, outfitter where we got our canoe three days early and say, this is what happened. And he's going to say, why didn't you flatten the barbs? And I'm going to say, I did. My hand's going to be swollen, or I can just pull, because I'm not going to cut my trip short. So I put my hand down in the water and just yanked on both those. <laughs> they came out. I uh, let out a big holler of, of joy, uh, and uh, you know, and that was it. And then we went on, but it was a great learning experience uh, in terms of preparation and what equipment you should bring. 
I'm not sure how Emily, we've talked about it a little bit. I don't know how that may or may not have affected her seeing that and how I handled it. Uh, but that's that's one thing that jumps to mind for me. Yeah, I mean, you know, that sort of a situation, the immediate thing I think of is, wow, good job, Emily, that you threw, threw that uh, multi-tool in there. I mean, that could have that could have ended very differently. And I, you know, even though maybe it wasn't, uh, intentional planning ahead, or maybe it was. For sure. Um, I mean, bringing the multi-tool wasn't very intentional. <laughs> uh, we just kind of threw it in there as a why not kind of thing to bring. Um, but then after having gone through that experience, uh, especially for my dad, uh, we definitely thought about planning more, which I think is extremely important in these kind of trips and to have smooth sailing through this, so to speak. Um, because you are out in the woods and things could go wrong and, you know, you aren't in a city where you might be able to ask your neighbor for help or to borrow something like that. You really have to rely on what you packed for the time that you're gone. Um, and so I, I know one thing that my dad and I always do is we bring a journal every year and we're always writing in that journal every night. Uh, just about our days and fun memories and funny things that happen, funny things that happen, um, that kind of stuff. But then also we write down things that we wish we had brought or things that we are happy we brought. Yeah, even if it's as simple as like a package of freeze-dried food that we just absolutely fell in love with. Because we know that when we go back to our busy lives, that um, we might forget about those kind of things before mm. next year. And so having that journal to remember everything um, that we were thinking about on that trip is really helpful. And also in addition to planning, um, doing research beforehand. So I think one thing, especially for kids, um, is maybe there's some sort of fear about the woods sometimes. Um, maybe about animals like bears or maybe for parents, things like weather. You know, what what do you do when a huge thunderstorm comes? You know, you can't go inside. Um, there's no protection like that if you're out camping. Um, but doing research beforehand can definitely make you feel more at ease. Um, and then you might read somewhere about someone who says to bring a multi-tool. Um, mm. And who knows, it might just might just save your trip. So I definitely think doing research and planning beforehand, keeping notes, like I said, how we have a journal definitely helps and has definitely made trips after that way smoother for sure. Yeah, that's a great uh, piece of advice that I hope people uh, will use moving forward if they don't already. Um, Scott, I know you are going to have to slip off the call. Um, yeah. Is there anything you want to add before you um, you have to part with us? I do, yeah. So uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who also loves to get outdoors. He's got an eight-year-old daughter, and I was telling him about the trips that Emily and I take and uh, that we'd be uh, actually presenting at Canoeacopia uh, in Madison in March this this year. Um, it's, it's, it, it, that has come and gone now. And talking about our trips and giving advice, uh, telling some stories to people that attended. And I asked him what what he thought about going out into the woods with his daughter. And he said he wants to do that. She's eight years old, but he's concerned that uh, she won't want to go or that she won't have a good time or that she'll want to bring her cell phone and won't be able to leave the phone or her friends. And, you know, what, what do I do about that? And uh, as Emily and I prepared for our presentation and started putting our thoughts down on paper, uh, it occurred to us that the fun that we have uh, really, I think, is the answer to that mm. question of what do I do? If you're able to show your daughter um, the kind of fun you can have, Emily mentioned nature's playground. When she said that, I thought about the time that we've ridden uh, water currents where water's rushing down from a, an adjacent lake that's at a higher elevation into a lake that we're in and creating really a natural uh, ride where you can mm -hmm. just step out into that current with your life jacket and ride it out for maybe uh, 75 or 80 yards. 
uh, and have a good time doing that, or a forest floor filled with blueberries, um, drinking from the lake, even if that's filtered water, you're still dipping your your your, your canteen, your, your your bottle into the water. Um, discovering moose poop, and I mean, who knew that uh, I didn't? That a fifteen hundred plus pound animal would have poop uh, not much bigger than a milk dud. <laughs> you know, watching beavers swim back and forth in front of us, flapping or smacking the water with their tails. So all these things, to me, uh, if you can show your daughter these things before you go and talk about them, then I think that that's the potential answer for how you get some get, get your daughter into the woods if, if, if she's not sure she wants to go. You know, it's fun, right? Mm. Uh, and, and we've had a lot of experience that, that bear that out, so... Yeah, I mean, it's just sort of this idea that uh, you show them the way by by doing it yourself. Right. You have fun, and they'll follow your lead. Right. Yeah. I completely agree with that, yeah. Well, I better run. Sorry, I wish I could stay longer. Scott, um, thank you so much for joining us uh, with your busy schedule. We're really grateful to have you on the podcast. Thank you. We uh, We really enjoyed it. Appreciate it. And Emily, I'm going to ask you to stay on for a few more sure. quick stories. Um, but uh, Scott, we'll uh, probably see you at Cunucopia next year. Sounds good. Thanks Thank so much. You. Bye. Bye. So, Emily, uh, you know, pretty cool hearing your dad talk about uh, his own process um, and things that stuck out to him and fond memories. I want to bring it back to you. And um, as you look back, uh, can you share with us a fond memory for you around like where you were and what you were doing and what really stuck out for you unique to the Boundary Waters? One thing that I think I'll always remember, it was just kind of this moment that stuck with me, was when my dad and I were canoeing on this really, really long lake. And I can't remember the name of it, but it seemed to just stretch on forever. And you know, we had been talking for a little bit. Um, we were probably both very tired at that point. No one was really saying anything, but it really gave me a chance to just reflect and kind of meditate on everything else that was happening in my life outside of that trip. And that really got me thinking. Um, and I don't really have a lot of time to just kind of sit back and relax and process everything in my life. And so I really enjoyed that reflection time, but then beyond that, um, it, I, you know, I had my dad there, and there's no one else to talk to when it's just the two of you in the woods for like two weeks or whatever, and you might be the only people you see, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of occurred to me in that moment how much trust I had in my dad, and especially going on these trips, how comfortable I was with him, and it really gave me a chance to talk to him in that moment. And that that's exactly what I did. I just talked to him mm. about everything that was going on in my life, um, the good and the bad, things that I don't always get a chance to talk to with my dad. And even, I guess, in our home setting, I don't want to say would feel uncomfortable talking about, but just wouldn't come up because I wouldn't be thinking about them necessarily. And so that definitely was a time when I felt like our relationship grew stronger because I mean, after we started talking, um, we we just were talking for hours. So, uh, I mean, that also made the canoeing on that lake go faster, too. (laughs) Right. But I guess that's a plus. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, it was just such a great reflection time, not only for myself, but it kind of enabled more trust that I had with my dad and made me feel more comfortable talking with him. And I, I guess I can't point out exactly why I remember that moment in particular, but mm. I, I definitely remember that. And I think about that sometimes, which is cool. Yeah. You know what I, I think is really neat that I'm just reflecting on while I talk to you guys is, you know, a lot of people when they, when they share uh, experiences about the Boundary Waters, you know, they're talking about the lakes and the campsites and, you know, whether the fish you caught or the waterfall you saw, and I, I mean, I'm hearing elements of that in everything mm-hmm. you're sharing, like blueberries and Quetico and the lakes and campsites. But what 
really the way that you're both describing it is that the wilderness, whether Quetico, Boundary mm-hmm. Waters, that that that's what really is happening there is it's the place where the magic can happen for you in right. in your relationship in in this time and place where it's sort of all of the factors of um, life that inhibit a lot of connection can now occur because of where you are. And right, I definitely attribute uh, those connections that we make to the environment that we're in. Uh, like I said, I can't always talk to him the same way in our house in Oconomowoc that I might be able to out in the woods. So it, the environment definitely makes a difference. So with that being said, I do, I mean, I think that is, that's the real magic of the wilderness. Um, Absolutely. And, and I love that. And I have been guilty many times of sort of pounding that point too hard. Um, so uh, since you're definitely making that point already for me, I would like to hear um, if you have any favorite entry points, any favorite lakes, anything that um, other listeners can be like, oh, yeah, I, I've been there. I remember that place. Or, oh, I want to go check that place out. Are, are there any, anything like that that really sticks out to you? Oh, for sure. Um, I think one of our favorite entry points is going through Nim Lake mm. um, up in Canada. And I, <laughs> the reason for that is, so Baswan Lake, you have to go through, usually based on the routes that we do. Um, and <laughs> the wind on that lake can be absolutely insane. And especially when I was little, I was just confident that we were going to tip. There was no way we were making it off this lake dry. Um, luckily, we have not tipped yet, but sometimes the, the waves are just insane with the wind that travels across that lake. Um, mm. And so I think not only do we kind of weirdly enjoy that challenge <laughs> yep. of going across Dachuan, um, but also on that lake, we have our favorite island called Blueberry Island that we have literally created a song about, um, which I will not be singing today. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you that. But uh, we love that little island. And funny enough, that's actually the island that we first stopped at on our very first trip. Oh, wow. Um, and our first night when my dad had talked about how I had kind of run away and came back with a mouthful of blueberries. <laughs> and, you know, he was panicking and I was just enjoying my time. Like, oh, look at, look at all this stuff. Um, and so it's definitely our favorite island, even though, you know, it's not the prettiest island we've stayed at um, or camping spot. It's not, it doesn't have like a beautiful beach right next to it. It does have a beach um, about like an hour paddle away, but I'll keep that top secret for now. I guess. Yeah. Can't give all your secrets <laughs> Can't away. Can't give all the sweet spots away. Uh, you know, but, uh, just um, in case anybody doesn't remember that Nim is uh, the infamous lake of episode 14 of the capsize uh, tale in, uh, in Quetico. And uh, I think the fact that you are also bringing up the significance of the wind in that region means mm-hmm. there's, it's not something to mess with at times. Yeah, definitely not. I know we'll talk about Batchwan um, Lake and uh, to my mom when we go back home and she'll just say, you know, that's the reason why I can't do these trips <laughs> sure. anymore. Uh, that lake <laughs> did her over, I think. Um, but yeah, I guess. And then one more thing um, that always stands out to us is uh, camping on islands. That's just mm-hmm. kind of a tradition of ours. Um, I don't really know how that started or why that started, but we don't really, we won't pitch a tent on the mainland really ever unless we have to. Um, but we, we just love camping on islands. And so that's a fun thing. And after doing multiple trips, you kind of gain those traditions and they're definitely something to look forward to. Um, I mean, we have tons of traditions when we go on these trips and we're constantly gaining more too. Mm-hmm. So it's a new experience every single time. Um, even though you, you have a little bit that you can expect, you know, like we're going to stay on an island, we're going to go blueberry picking. We'd love to uh, kind of snorkel around beaches that we find. Um, or I love looking at pictographs 
um, which now I'm an anthropology major, so go mm-hmm. figure. <laughs> but <laughs> doing planning like that to find out where the pictographs are or to print out a sheet on like constellations, um, those are fun to look at at night. Uh, just kind of creating fun in the environment we're in. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the fun is already there. You just have to find it yeah. sometimes. And that's um, half the fun. Yeah, yeah, no, really. Uh, and then I guess overall one thing that I want to say, too, is that going into these trips, I think it's extremely important to be flexible and open-minded, you know, from a dead-daughter perspective, especially when I was younger. He had done this when he was in high school and college and after that, and I had never done this. So his experience canoeing and camping out in the wilderness was way different than mine. Um, And so people have all different definitions of camping, whether that's in like an outpost cabin or whether that's, you know, you're backpacking up into the mountains. Um, People have all different definitions of it. And so I think to just be a little bit flexible with your trips, especially at first, if you're bringing your kid along and maybe they're a little hesitant on it, it's definitely great to be flexible with that. You know, maybe just try a weekend at first. You know, you don't have to go for two weeks right away. Um, and that can still make all the difference. Um, or changing the environment, too, you know. Um, if you live in, like, a different state um, and you've never been to, like, up north in, like, the real forest or anything, trying that out or going down south. There's always new things to try. And yeah, so I I guess that was just one thing that I wanted to add to, because I think that was really important to us, especially when I was younger, was just being open-minded to trying new things. And that's how we gain traditions, too. Mm. So, um, like sleeping on islands, you know what I mean? We didn't have every single camping spot picked out for us before we went in, um, which you really can't do anyways, because someone might be camping there. Right. but yeah, just being open-minded and flexible to your trip is definitely gonna gonna make it go more smooth. Yeah, smoothly. I mean, Emily, that makes a lot of sense. That the the if you have sort of open expectations, that leaves the most room for things to unfold the way that they need to. Absolutely. And that if the the more tight you structure you know we have to do this loop and we have to do it in a week and then you know that that sort of a trip for the first time it has a lot of potential to not go well right i can tell you that all of our stories come from events that we did not plan out so yeah the spontaneity yeah. just have fun with it yeah pl- plan just enough right and right. and and enjoy the rest Well, Emily, I want to thank you so very much for being willing to talk to us. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Emily. This is episode 16 of the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. Support for today's episode comes from North Star Canoes. I'm Claire Porter wife of North Star's general manager, Barry Paulson. North Star canoes are designed with stability and seaworthiness in mind. That makes them safe in rough water when the wind howls and whitecaps dance. Most canoeists try not to paddle in those conditions, but sometimes you need to cross a big lake. And when you're in the middle of brule or snowbank, it's not the time to wish you were in a safer canoe. North Stars are safe enough that Bear and I took our newborn son, Dashua, on an 18-day boundary waters trip last October and safe enough that we're planning another three-week trip for this summer. North Stars are easy to paddle on glassy days and safe to paddle on rough ones. Rent a North Star at over 25 different BWCA outfitters or purchase a new one from over 15 retailers in the Midwest. North Star Canoes, helping you share wonder with your family. I'm proud to support the BWCA and this Boundary Waters podcast on WTIP. Online at northstarcanoes.com. And thanks for being with us here today. Episode 16 of the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. You know, there's certain cues that you get from uh, somebody you spend time with in a canoe or around camp where you can just tell by eye contact or, or little 
gestures, body language, and so forth when something's on someone's mind, you know, that you're accustomed to being with in the woods. And Matthew, you've got you got that look, man. Something's on your mind. You you got something you want to tell us? Yeah, Joe. You know, I it's really interesting because in podcast land, uh, you don't get those cues. You don't get to see the look on each other's faces uh, like you do in the wilderness. So really, the only way that podcast land knows that you're enjoying this podcast is by liking it, giving a rating, and sharing the podcast with other people, and then going the extra distance and leaving comments. That's how the whole podcast land knows what you're up to and what you're enjoying. Uh, And that is so valuable to us, too, to know that you're appreciating the podcast. So if you could take some time to do those things, it would be so valuable to us. Yeah, so uh, basically what we're getting at is if you're enjoying the episode or even if there's just some things you want to share, some ideas, uh, anything about the podcast, take a few minutes and uh, please do that. We'd appreciate it. It'd mean a lot to us here at WTIP and on the podcast. So speaking of sharing, uh, up next, Bobby and Maura Marco, they're going to be sharing all about their experiences of getting their young children into the Boundary Waters. Uh, These folks uh, love this stuff, and they love motivating other parents uh, by inspiring them and showing them what's possible, that you don't have to be afraid to get your kids into the wilderness. And uh, they've got some great advice. I'm really looking forward to hearing it. Yeah, me too. Let's head right on in. I am here with Bobby and Maura Marco, uh, who have two kids, Jack, who's four, and Rowan, who's two, and they've joined us today to talk about their experience of getting kids, their kids, into the wilderness. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. so much for having us. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your individual experiences uh, or relationship with the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness um, prior to your kids? Um, we actually, neither one of us had one. Um that was something that my family never did growing up and Bobby's family offered it to him and he always said no. <laughs> uh, foolishly looking back on it. Um, so after we had Jack, we were, we were mainly backpackers. And so getting more and more difficult. And then I got pregnant with Rowan. And so we actually took our first trip into the boundary waters together when Jack was two and I was six months pregnant with Rowan. So that was, we really dove right into the world of the Boundary Waters, and we just knew it was something that we were going to do again and again and again with our kids. So the first time you went in, it was a new experience for all four of you. Yeah. Yeah, we'd never gone canoe camping, let alone going to the, build, the Boundary Waters. <laughs> I mean, let's let's dive in there. What, what was it like uh, getting ready for a trip where you couldn't even imagine what you were getting into? Well... I was put in charge of dealing with the food and I was six months pregnant and so I was super hungry. Um, So I think we packed enough food for about two months in the Boundary Waters versus the four days we were planning. So I had so much food. We had lots of choices every night. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we watched a lot of videos on YouTube where everything had to be sort of watertight. That was something that I'd never really dealt with before. Um, Another thing was since we were backpackers, we had all this backpacking equipment and we were like, oh, we'll just throw our backpacking pack into the canoe. My dad has been under us for years, so he very quickly talked us out of that and was like, offered us a lot of his equipment to let us borrow it. Um, We borrowed his canoe and his portage pack. Yeah, so we were able to glean a lot from his advice as well. Yeah, that's definitely an important part of what I've been hearing from other parents is having a resource uh, when you're going and especially sort of blind like this is invaluable. And and that resource was your dad, Bobby. Yeah, it was, it was my father. Another thing that we did on that first trip, um, and we've done pretty much all of our trips, is we always bring somebody else along as well to, to help us out. So for that first trip, um, we brought more sister along, um, especially you're tired as a parent and to have somebody who's kind of fresh to be able to help out as well has always been really helpful for us. Um, our, my, my dad also comes on a lot of our trips. Yeah, he kind of comes on all of them now. Well, that's pretty special. Uh, so it, that sounds like this this first piece of advice is almost like don't be outnumbered by the kids. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I can see, right, if there's two of you and one kid, then you got a good ratio. But then now if you got two kids, it's bring another adult. And if you know that that sort of being able to share some of those uh, responsibilities probably makes the trip a lot more fun for everybody. Yeah. And it's always different, too, as your kids are at different ages. When they start crawling around, you need somebody to keep an eye on them to make sure they're not eating too much dirt. We did a six-day traverse across the Boundary Waters um, a couple years ago, and Rowan was like nine months. And so she was crawling and put everything in her mouth. So we had a couple of extra people along with us, and somebody was always responsible just for sitting with her Uh, (laughs) to make sure she didn't choke on a rock. Um, Because we're okay with them putting things in their mouth and, you know, exploring and experimenting. That's how they they grow and develop. But it becomes a safety issue. And so it was like, make sure, you know, she's not grabbing a rock that's the perfect size that's going to choke her. Um, So that's when having those extra hands for safety um, is really, really important. And now that Jack is four, one of the things that we found is really helpful is to actually bring along a friend for him. Um, So last year we introduced our friends, the Featherstones, and so they'd never been. And so they brought along their daughter, who is the same age as Jack. And so that was really fun for him and for Rowan to have an extra person along to to play with. And it was great for the parents, too. Yeah. So uh, there is sort of like a threshold where, uh, depending on the age, somebody to to help your kid entertain each other, they can kind of engage in that so you have a little more freedom. Oh, absolutely. We always say, like, if people want a play date or if they want to drop their kids off for a little bit, it's the same in the woods. It'll make our lives so much easier if they have a buddy to hang out with and to explore with. And, um, and yeah, they're just so much happier having somebody else to play their imaginary games together with. Yeah. So, you know, when I go into the Boundary Waters for my own trip, uh, you know, I'm often going in with other people and other groups and, and kids as well. But when I go in for my own trip, you know, I really love that I just get to do my own thing and go at my own pace. And I imagine that that, that that element probably changes when you're bringing kids in. So how does that change for you guys? Do you enjoy the wilderness differently? Or is it just finding space to do that too? Yeah, so the pace is definitely very different um, once you have kids along. And that was something that was hard for me as a parent. Like when Jack was born... You know, prior to him being born, we would go and do trips. Um, and if I didn't meet those goals, I was usually really disappointed and frustrated. Uh, and I quickly learned after having children that I really needed to, to change my mindset. And it's not so much about getting somewhere. Um, it's more about just being out, being together as a family and having no distractions and having that wilderness experience. So before, we would have wanted to do like a huge loop with tons of miles every day, whereas a base camp that's usually easily accessible from your car and explore from there. And so finding places that have a lot of exploration opportunities, um, especially for the kids having some variety, just paddled into the first campsite that's only uh, like a mile from the entry point. But from there, we were able to spend our days exploring the lake via canoe or across the lake. But, you know, if, if I was just alone or if it was just more and myself out there doing a trip like that, that might be a little bit boring because there's not much to it. I think when you are an adult and you're moving at an, at an adult pace, you miss a lot of what's going on. Um, whereas when you're with a child, you have to slow down. You don't have a choice. And so you get special moments and that special time to really observe what's around you. And you get to see things you wouldn't normally see. Um, and, you know, one thing we talk a lot about with our kids is just the interconnectedness of everything that's in nature. So we were just hiking um, in Bryce Canyon National Park. And the trail was covered in snow. And then every now and then there would be no snow because there was a tree that was creating enough heat that had melted the snow for that one little section. Or the trail is still covered here. And I said, well, look up. Is this tree dead or alive? And he said, oh, it's dead. It's not making heat anymore. And so you just notice these little tiny things that most people are just whipping right past. And so we have just these really awesome conversations with our kids and they're learning so much about the environment. Um, that a lot of grown-ups, I don't think, ever take the time to notice. Another example of that would be uh, in t- 2017, we took the kids on a traverse of uh, the Boundary Waters from Moose Lake out of Ely over to the Gunflint Trail. And when we were on Knife Lake, uh, a storm was rolling in, and we were trying to find this. Uh, the map and GPS said we were right there, but we could not find the landing. We couldn't find the fire grate. Uh, we had we were six panicking. Adults. Yeah, and we were all very hungry. It had been a long day. <laughs> we had like 
five portages that day. And so stress was high. And then Jack was like, there's the campsite. And he was right. Like he, he was able to see the fire grate through the brush that none of us could see at all. Um, so that was a really exciting moment to see him like helping out in that way and seeing things that we as adults couldn't notice. Yeah. You know, there's this element that I really appreciate about what you're saying, uh, that embracing a slower pace, embracing some different expectations about how, um, how the trip is going to look across the board is, uh, keeps you in a frame of mind where you're also appreciating what's happening. Uh, you're not sacrificing your enjoyment so that your kids can enjoy it. You're just finding a different way to enjoy it with them. Yeah. Which I think is pretty powerful because like, like you were saying, Maura, then you get the opportunity to experience the wilderness in a different way. And that's really cool. Um, you know, and I, I actually would like to go back to this traverse trip that you guys did. Um, cause you were, can you just give us an idea of the route you took? Were you taking the border lakes all the way, all the way across? So through my job, I had three weeks left of paternity leave that we hadn't used. And so we were trying to come up with like, what should we do with these three weeks? It'd be great to do a, some sort of an adventure. And at the time, Rowan was about nine months old and, and Jack was two and a half. And so, or actually he just turned three. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So we started looking at maps and trying to figure out, well, should we do a hiking trip? Should we do a canoeing trip? Should we do a biking trip? Um, and we're having a hard time finding a route that could like occupy that time. Like the spear hiking trail would be a lot of fun, but we couldn't do it with kids in three weeks. And so I just started looking at maps and started seeing this path where we could take the Masabi Trail out of Grand Rapids and bike for a few days. And then we could get to Ely, paddle across the, so we followed the border lakes. Um, we took moose up uh, and then went over on the border lakes to Sag Lake and then um, hiked the border route trail over to towards Lake Superior. We spent a lot of time planning that trip. Um, we hadn't done an expedition of that sort alone, Without let, let alone with Without children. Kids. So that was very much a learning experience. And we also had um, some friends follow us along and film it in a documentary uh, that's been at uh, four or five different film festivals across the country and actually won an award out in California at the Wild Scenic Film Festival for Best Kids Film. Uh, that's pretty awesome. Uh, I, I'm kind of blown away. That you, I think you were just saying a, a moment ago about how having, like doing a base camp is a good introduction. <laughs> and, yeah, then, yeah. and then now you're talking about this much more involved and, and epic multifaceted adventure so in that case you know taking on something big like that you were very supported we had a lot of support behind us we had um we had multiple people along um our filmmakers were a huge support just driving you know when we were on the bike portion they drove our car to the end point for us every day so we didn't have to bike back um you know that it took a lot of planning and yeah, it w but it was a really fun trip to plan. Um, and it was it was actually pretty amazing, the community that came out and wanted to help us. We actually had to turn a bunch of people away to come on the Boundary Waters Port because I think people just thought this was a really unique opportunity and something unique that we were doing just to try to encourage other parents to get outside. Because our goal in the whole journey was to say like, hey, we did this huge epic trip, but really all we want to do is get out with our kids. And, and it doesn't it doesn't, you don't have to do something huge and epic. You can do something really small. You can do a base camp for a weekend. And that's just as exciting as and, less exhausting. and way less exhausting. <laughs> yeah. I, I really appreciate that. I think, you know, it's when you can see what is possible, I think it, it is really motivating to other people to say, Oh, you did that. Maybe I could do that too. And okay. that's it seems like that's a really powerful motivation for you guys is to inspire other parents. And so I, I think I'd love it if each of you could take a minute and just talk to those parents that want to get their kids into the boundary waters, but are just sort of a little intimidated by the process. What, what do you want to say to them? Um, this is kind of our motto in life is, Failure is never turning around early or not making it the whole way and, you know, 
having to leave the boundary waters a day or two early based on weather or whatever's going on. But for us, you just need to try. You just need to take that step. Find people that encourage you and inspire you. Find friends or relatives that have done this in the past. Ask them for their advice. Yeah, a big recommendation is to start small. Like we've done trips, camps, like 500 feet from the entry point. But it's still fun um, with the kids along. And they don't know that you're that close to the entry point. Right. For me, it was this first coming into it. It was like, oh, I need to do a big epic trip. But no, just start as small as possible and and work your way up from there. The other thing we really recommend, though, is don't go so small that you only do one night. Um, but what we found in, with camping with kids in general, especially young children, is that first night you do not sleep very well. And it's, it's really stressful when you're not sleeping. And so, But what we found is if you stick with it, that second night, they're usually really exhausted, and so they actually sleep better. And so our theory is that first night is they're just if they're excited to be in a tent, it's something new, they're gonna be awake. Even the first night's gonna suck, but stick with it, it gets yeah. better. And then another thing I would say, and I'm totally blanking on the campground, but the campground that's right on the edge. Sawbell? Sawbell, thank you. I was thinking Kushwe, but I knew that was wrong. Um, Kushwe has a camp. Kushwe too. So another option that we always tell parents about is, you know, make the drive up there and then base camp it outside of the boundary waters where there's an outfitter. Because a lot of people don't have a canoe, right, that's going to set their family. Um, So put yourself at one of those campgrounds. Like There's going to be a good example. Okay. Yeah. There are numerous entries that sort of fit that bill, uh, depending on where you're going. Camp there, do some day trips in and see if it's something your kids will enjoy and if it's something you will enjoy. Um, and make sure it's just really fun for them. Um, and so having those day trip options, I think is really great. Yeah. I, you know, I can, there's this idea of, you know, however you need to, to start to be successful and that measure of success is just trying it. Right. And getting out there. And for us, a measure of success is, are our kids still happy and are they safe? We never want... Like we want this to be something our kids want to do for years and years. And so it's something we're very cognizant of. So the happiness part is something that we're really attuned to. And we would much rather leave early to make sure that they're having a good time than to stay out there and, and keep pushing them. We have this great picture of Jack on our very first trip to Koisha. We, we were leaving. And as I was putting the canoe up on the truck, he started just crying and bawling because he didn't want to be done canoe camping. He didn't want to put clean clothes on. Yeah. Or get in the car. And so we know that was a successful trip because the next time he'll be excited to do it because he has those memories of this is something I really enjoy doing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the truth is, I think we all feel that way when we're coming out for the right. most part. And yeah. he's, you know, just really honest about it. And that that is, I think that's really great. And, you know, there's been, you know, I know there's a lot of discussion in the paddling community around, you know, why aren't why isn't there a younger generation using the wilderness and, you know, where are, where's the future of, you know, boundary waters, travelers. And, you know, I I think it's easy to fixate on um, some of those issues as, as being maybe like a source of anxiety. And then there are folks like you who are focusing your attention on just making that, you know, it giving that gift to the next generation and taking the time to do that in a thoughtful way and to encourage other parents to do that in a thoughtful way, that really that is, that's how we uh, create a future for the wilderness and for, for protecting it as well is by continuing to pass that love on to, to the children. So I'm really grateful for that, for you guys, that you do that. Yeah, and what's been interesting is it, we try to reach out to parents, but one demographic that we didn't really even expect to reach uh, we've been talking to Canucopia for the past three years, and we'll have a lot of grandparents who come up to us, and they say, I want my grandchildren to experience the Boundary Waters, but my children aren't doing it, so I'm going to take them. Yeah. And that's always cool to see that they're going to do whatever it takes to get those kids out there. Well, you know, I think that is a great note to sort of wrap up on, and I want to just jump on that bandwagon. You guys will be at Midwest Mountaineering Expo in Minneapolis, uh, and the podcast will be uh, also at the Expo. Uh, so definitely look up Bobby and Mora's talk if you want to meet them, and you're going to be in the Twin Cities metro of Minnesota. Um, also stop by our podcast booth, and I look forward to connecting with you guys again there soon. 
So um, I guess in closing, I just want to thank both of you for being uh, on the podcast. And it's been really nice to talk with you both. It's been great talking with you too. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having us. All right, Matthew. Uh, another great episode here on the podcast. Uh, this was this was one we've been brainstorming for a while. You know, the the idea of families, family trips to the Boundary Waters, and and one thing too about it that I think is important is that not only is it the family connection, the time that the family gets to be together away from you know the hustle and bustle of of life and everyday tasks and so forth, but also oftentimes someone. In the family is going to bring, you know, often the kids bring a friend or, or maybe a, a friend or two sometimes, and then that friend has the experience of going to the Boundary Waters as well and could maybe share that with their family and then their other friends. So it just keeps growing and growing and it gets people excited about canoe country and, and what is the Boundary Waters. Um, I mean, you and I, from our backgrounds in Iowa and Wisconsin, we didn't really know much about it at all growing up. So uh, the more people that know about the Boundary Waters, the the more uh, that the place has has value as far as, um, you know, protection and things like that. Yeah, it really is how we keep it moving into the future. Um, and, and, you know, speaking of sharing awesome things, uh, just want to remind everybody that coming up uh, at the end of April, April 26th, 27th, 28th, Podcast will be on the road again down in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So for all of our Twin Cities regional listeners, uh, we'd love to see you. Come find us at our booth. Don't forget that you can also hear Bobby and Mora Marco give their talk on Saturday at the Expo. If you want to learn more and talk to them in person about your family plans for the Boundary Waters. Uh, And so big thanks to them for being on the episode. Thanks to Scott and Emily. And one other name that you're going to hear very soon is Anthea Grazley. Uh, we got to talk to her also around this topic of getting your family into the Boundary Waters. So you're going to be hearing her story of her first trip with her kids coming up as a bonus track a little later this month. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Uh, it was really great chatting with her as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, a major shout out. Thanks to our sponsors, Paragus Northwoods and Ely, uh, North Star Canoes. The show, the podcast, would not be what it is without our sponsors. So major thanks to them. And especially you, our listeners. Couldn't do it without you. Yeah, it's been so much fun. We've got a lot of great things planned. Matthew, before you know it, May will be here. We will be on the water. I've got a permit booked for the fishing opener already. All right. (laughs) So, yeah, it's all becoming reality at this point. And looking forward to that. And uh, looking forward to heading to the expo with you, Matthew Baxley. As always, we're just cruising along here on the podcast. Bring it on. (laughs) (laughs) I just sing when I paddle Feeling not thinking if the strokes are true We're gonna get through to the other side out in the night the waves beat the shore You can hear them pounding, you can hear them roar Oh, me, rock me in my dreams You can roll me, rock me in my dreams So I like to sing, I love to dance I play the fool if I got the chance All around the campfire light All around Campfire light all round, all round, all round the campfire light.